So if you would turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 10. We're continuing our John and Him is Life series. And um, if you haven't been with us, like, we're, I don't know how many weeks in, and it's, it's probably, it might be the fastest series we've ever done to this point. Because at this point in 1 Kings, when we were at chapter 10, I think we were on, on month 7. It took us seven months to get to chapter 10 in 1 Kings, and, and now we're, well, just under three for, for John, which is actually quite astounding for Travis to be able to go that fast. Um, tonight, though, I've been given the task to do John chapter 10, 1 through 21. And let me tell you, just before we start, probably some of the most, or not the most familiar stuff, but you've heard this stuff before, and I've heard this stuff before, and most preachers are not so brave to take all of John chapter 10, 1 through 21 at one time. And I actually contemplated changing it this morning because it's a lot. And uh, I'm going to try and be succinct. But my prayer is that we would hear the Lord's voice in it anyway. But before we get into the text, I want to kind of draw your attention to something that is, uh, I don't know, a fad right now in, in evangelical Christianity. Actually, it's not really a fad because it's been around for... 30-something years, and most of you are not 30. I would venture to guess uh, myself, maybe two other people in here, four, three other people in here are 30. And we, uh, we haven't really grown up in this age. We wouldn't really see it as a fad, but discipleship. You know, you heard about this, like, discipleship, discipler kind of things. Really, the, the primary discipler for the entire church is actually the one who's preaching, and we, about the 80s, decided, oh, we're going to actually make this a thing and program, you know, who, uh, like, one-on-one discipleship. And that, now, don't hear me and get me wrong. This is a good thing. But that kind of extends into something that we all sh- already should have been doing, right? And one way that I didn't know how to do this, and just be frank, I had no idea how to do this well for my family. And it was brought to my attention by my lovely wife, and some of you know her, and she's blunt at times. Um, I am appreciative of this because I needed some bluntness. And um, we were having our first child, Adina, and she's beautiful, and she's almost four, and can't believe that she's talking to me in, like, full paragraphs. And um, really just don't know until you have one. And Anyway, when she was coming, and, and I was scared out of my mind because Beth said, I would really like you to be the spiritual leader in our household. Really, it's just like the head disciple maker. And I was like, well, yeah, of course, I'm going I'm to do that, no problem. And one day it really crushed me. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what it means to show who Jesus is to this little unborn child. I have no idea how to lead my wife to Jesus either. And most of you are not married yet, but you might and probably will be married soon in the future. And this is a real thing that you might have to wrestle with. Here's what I'm really getting at, though. If you've never been discipled on how to be a disciple, if you've never been shepherded to, to Jesus in a real specific way, on like step-by-step basis, you might not be able to lead anybody else step-by-step because you've never been shepherded before you either. And I'm really thankful for a couple books and a couple people who stepped into my life about that time. And God graced me with a guy named Vodi Bauckham. And I'm just letting you know, if you read his stuff, he's going to change your life forever. And God will use him mightily. And I really encourage you to do so. But it might scare you at the same time, because it did me. He really showed me that I am not 
fit to lead my family, that I must know Jesus better than my family to lead them to him. And this is not something that you know, everybody's going to go through, and I realize that. But there's this, this real tension in our lives where we're put in contact with somebody else, and they don't know Jesus as well, or maybe they've never heard of Jesus, and they don't know what it is to have a relationship with God. And honestly, not many of us have been taught how to evangelize them if they don't know Jesus. And most of us haven't been taught how to disciple either, even if they are and they do know Jesus already. That's kind of the whole point of this text. The whole point of John chapter 10 is that Israel's priests and prophets, the people, the Levites, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually didn't know how to lead people to God. And God himself incarnate in Jesus is, is telling them that they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And not just telling them, but he's doing this in this word picture. And it's the good shepherd picture. We've probably heard this before. But everything Israel leaders were supposed to be doing, they failed at, and Jesus ultimately fulfilled. And uh, we are supposed to do the same. We're supposed to follow in Jesus' footsteps and lead others to him, be a light into the world. But honestly, we can't do that without being shepherded first. We can't do that without knowing what it looks like to be discipled. So if you have your Bibles and you are in John 10, we're going to read 1 through 21, the whole thing, and then we're going to dive in for the text. To hear the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A shepherd or a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This big figure of speech Jesus used with them, and they, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And that figure of speech is really important. We're going to talk about that as we get going. So Jesus said again to them to clarify, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, all who came before me. But the sheep did not listen to them. And I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I came, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. For I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them, and he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. 
For no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There's a long text. There's more. Did you actually? Oh, good. He actually had it. I thought he only had 18. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of the one who is, is, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we find ourselves in chapter 10, but reality is this is just commentary on what happened in chapter 9. This is a story to help us understand what happened in chapter 9 and that we should really kind of remember back to last week when Travis was preaching, he pointed out that the, the man who was born blind was kind of interrogated twice, you know, because the Pharisees really don't want to see Jesus lifted high. They don't want to see him made most much of. They don't want to see him be proclaimed as the Messiah because that would pretty much, you know, ruin their, ruin their clout in culture. They would have no pool anymore. But this man, he actually gets thrown out of the synagogue, and Jesus comes to him and says, do you know the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is that? And he said, it's me. And he goes, yes, I believe. And he says, see the one I came, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. See, this is a, a whole story about the, uh, that's supposed to be proving something to us. It's proving that Jesus is a fulfillment of a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, which has two important things in it. If you remember back, we have the I am statement, I am the light of the world, right? I am the light of the world. And now we love the darkness when we're not in Christ, but the light of the world, that's because the light of the world, it reveals who we really are. Well, in the Feast of Tabernacles, there's two important things. There's water and there's light. There's the, the temple is... Um, has flowing water through the uh, temple altar, off the altar, and then it has light that is up and it's shining all night. Where normally they would not, oh, well, let me back up. During feast time, it would be only lit during the night for all night prayer for seven days in a row. But, and it's for the point of showing us that there is supposed to be, you know, that's where we meet God. That's, that's where we're supposed to meet God. But Jesus is actually breaking all those around. He, down. He says, I'm the light of the world. And here we come and we hear two things. We hear two I am statements. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. These are extremely important in the I am's. They, it's who God is. It's how we see God. It's how we come to know him. But this text, as we attack it, because we're going to have to attack it to understand what it means, comes into us in three divisions. Verses one to six, we see the shepherd's bond, the shepherd's relationship with his sheep. In 7 to 10, we see the shepherd's provision for his sheep. And then for 11 to 21, we see the shepherd's love for his sheep. And here's the point. In the midst of all this fulfillment language and all the temple and tabernacle stuff and all the symbolisms, you need to hear one thing, is that if you do not follow Jesus's voice, you will not have life. If you do not follow Jesus' voice, you do not have light. And you will be blinded for the rest of your life. So here's the charge. Follow Jesus' life-giving voice. 
Five words. Follow Jesus' life-giving voice. So as we come to verse 1 to 6, the shepherd's relationship with his sheep, I want you to see that we are supposed to listen for the shepherd's voice and no other voice. So we, we look, and we're going to start in verse 6 because this is really important before we get into nitty-gritties, is that he says this is a figure of speech and nobody understood him, right? He says, uh, this figure of speech Jesus used, but they did not understand what, they, what he was saying. Now, John does not talk about parables. He doesn't really have parables. And what really kind of shows us that this isn't a parable, but it's parable-like, is the fact that Jesus explains himself to everybody. He, and parables come trying to conceal a meaning, conceal a, per, a specific thing from certain people and to reveal truth to another set. But this is actually being revealed. It's being unpacked for all who are in the room. And we have Pharisees in the room. We have the blind men in the room. We probably have just onlookers in the room. They are seeing that and and hearing Jesus say these things about, well, them and us. That we should be looking and listening for the shepherd's voice. But he is completely showing him in this story that they are not listening to the true shepherd's voice. So he starts with the thief and the robber, who climbs in by another way. He says, the thief and the robber are basically people who just want to circumvent what God has already set up. So we have the sheepfold, right? We're, we're told about this, this sheepfold that's supposed to be enclosing the sheep and keeping them safe. And the people who can't actually enter through the gatekeeper, because they're like, no, you don't have any sheep here, they want to climb over this and try to steal and rob the sheep, steal the, life's, the life of the sheep and rob the people who own the sheep. This is really important for us to see because that's exactly what the Pharisees did in chapter 9 for this blind man. The blind man's life was stolen from him, even though Jesus gave him sight. He, they didn't kill him, but they pat, cast him out of the, the synagogue, which is the only place where they can hear God's word, which is the life that they need to be able to live, is to be able to hear the voice of God in his scriptures. They, they intentionally throw him out. And they, he, Jesus is setting the Pharisees up and saying that he, they are not legitimate. They're not ones that you need to be listening to. You need to be listening to me because I am, he says, the one who enters by the door that the gatekeeper opens, verse 2 and verse 3. See, he legitimately comes to them because God has sent him, because he has God's word in his mouth, because he is God's word. He is known by the gatekeeper and he's known by the sheep because the sheep hear when he calls him them by name. And this is really important that we all hear this, that the shepherd, the good shepherd's voice will call you by your name. Not just in some general, uh, some general name, hey, you, but Reese, McCoy, Stephanie. He calls us by our names. And that's how we know that we are actually following the shepherd. See, culture doesn't really call us by our name, but he calls us by groups, does it not? Calls us by female and male or a whole bunch of other ideas. But they don't call you by name. They don't call you by Reese. They don't call you by Beth. They don't call you by Ryan. They don't call you by those names because you are just a group of people to them that they are trying to shape and mold. 
But the shepherd calls us by name. And the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Because when we're called by name, we're really going to follow the sh- that, that person, that thing. See, and, and I really want to kind of show us what this stranger, everybody kind of realizes that we don't follow strangers' voices, right? When we're kids, what do our parents tell us? Don't go to strangers. Don't follow strangers. Don't talk to strangers if you can avoid it. But definitely don't go with them. Don't jump in their vans. Don't, you know what I'm talking about. And if they bring you into the vans, you, you, what do you do? You yell. What? Yeah, well, you fight, yes. But, but you yell. And my mom, which is funny because it wasn't a joke until after I found out this, but my mom told us to yell, stranger danger, stranger danger, right? So these sheep, they don't follow strangers. They flee. They run away from him. Just like we are supposed to be fleeing the ones that are calling us by uh, not our names. They're calling us by groups of people, things that we shouldn't be following after because they don't have your best in mind. The shepherd leads you by his voice. In fact, it's the shepherd's voice that we see in verses 1 to 6 that is the most important point in this little section. It's the shepherd's voice is what he is known by. So we should listen for the shepherd's voice to avoid the chaos, to avoid the death the thief and the robber bring. But here's the reality. We listen to the most familiar voice, do we not? Voices that we hear the most are the ones that we tend to run after, tend to follow after. If culture says that I'm supposed to be six foot, then I'm actually ashamed to only be five eight. You know, and don't, I mean, we laugh, but that's true. We don't, we don't like who we are. We want to be what culture says we should be. But Jesus knows us and he calls us by name. He doesn't just know us in this roundabout way, but he knows us intimately. He knows who we are and everything about us. But most of the time, it's not the good shepherd's voice that we run after. It's the culture's idea and their voices. And so I have a, I've been wrestling with this question. Why do we keep running after those voices? Besides the fact that they are the most familiar and they're the ones that we find home in, why do we keep running after these voices in the first place? And through this text, it's, it's, I just kind of bring into my head that, you know, the reason the Pharisees do what they do is for acceptance. The reason the Pharisees do what they do to the people around them and why they're not a fan of Jesus is because they're not accepted by Jesus and the people don't accept them either, but they want to be loved and liked. Kind of like us, we kind of want to be loved and liked. So if I'm 5'8", I should be six foot because that's better, that's taller, whatever you want to say. But in reality, that is not who my father made me to be and whose voice should I be listening to? For the sheep are already accepted. He calls them by their names. And they are his own. This is important. That we know how to hear the voice of the shepherd. Right? Because we have all these other voices in our heads. We have Instagram in our heads. We have, you know, in our eyes. And Twitter in our eyes. And we have podcasts in our ears. And we've got to continually look after things that we think are right and good and beautiful but we're not really running after the good shepherd's 
voice, but we should truly glorify God in all things that we do. And how we do that is by cultivating a listening ear for Jesus's voice. And we cultivate that listening ear for Jesus's voice by continuous prayer and careful reading of his word. Here's a really easy thing to do if you don't have like a morning routine or you just don't feel like you can read in the morning. You can't, you'd feel like you don't have time. It's called 15 minutes. It's 15 minutes of, of just prayer. And you start with praying for five minutes, devoting yourself to the Lord, yourself, your life, who, who you are to the Lord. Then you spend the next five minutes devoting your day to the Lord, knowing I got to go to school, knowing I got to go to work, knowing I got to meet so-and-so and do such and such. But by giving that over to the Lord, letting him shepherd you through it. And then the last five minutes of those 15 minutes, we devote our lives, the entirety of our lives to the Lord. And we ask him to lead us in those times. And what I find myself doing and in these five minutes, these last five minutes, is more like interceding for people that I have in my heart. So this morning, I was praying hard for Forrest. I haven't seen the kid. And he comes back from Michigan. And it's great to see him. And it's great to be led by him. But I needed to pray for my coworker in Christ. For he's my brother, and he's part of my life. But cultivating a listening ear for Jesus, his voice, must start with prayer and reading his word. For if you do not read his word, you do not know how to pray rightly. And if you do not pray, you will not have his word implanted in your heart. So we, we must cultivate that listening ear by meditating and marinating on Jesus's voice. And when we listen for Jesus's voice, these other voices fade away, just like sheep who don't recognize other shepherds' voices. And they don't recognize these other voices, and they do one of two things. They freeze or flee. They freeze or flee. They do not listen, or they run away. And that should be our reaction to things that are not of God, even if it seems good, right, and beautiful. So we are to listen for the shepherd's voice. Moving on to verse 7 through 10. We listen for the shepherd's voice because he provides safety and satisfaction. He provides safety and satisfaction. The shepherd's provision for his sheep are safety and satisfaction. But to have this safety and satisfaction, we must enter the door of salvation. This is where we see in verse 7, we see Jesus say, I am the door of the sheep. Remember the gatekeeper? Remember, remember how the gatekeeper lets the shepherd in? Well, Jesus is not only the shepherd who enters. He is the one you must enter by. He's the one you must pass through. He's the one that would let the sheep, as the sheep come into the fold, he would check every one of his sheep and let them in and let them out, knowing exactly what was going on with them. Everything about them, everything that happened while they were in the pen, everything that happened while they were out in the world, but they, he knows everything about him, but he is the door of the sheep. He's the door to safety and satisfaction. And in this little piece, seven to 10, we see this contrast. We see the door of the sheep, and we see thieves and robbers. And he says something extremely shocking and something that would just 
really royally make everybody mad in the time. He says, all, all, he says, panta, all who go before me, all who went before me, all others were thieves and robbers. That means the Pharisees in front of them. That means the Sadducees are probably within earshot. That means any spiritual leader who was not doing the Lord's work, that was doing God's work as he ordained it, they were thieves and robbers. And we see this back in chapter 9. Instead of taking care of the blind man, what do they do? They cast him out of the synagogue. Instead of rejoicing with the blind man that he has now sight, that he has sight and he is able to move on with his life, what do they do? They berate him. They go after him. They try to make him lie so that he might live. In effect, follow me here. He, they are the new Egypt. They are the new Egyptian pharaoh. They have taken the pharaoh's place and made the blind man not want truth, but work with, try to make bricks without straw. You remember back, that was one of the major things that was wrong with the people. They could not make bricks anymore because the Pharaoh had taken away their straw. And yet he said, no, you must make the bricks. You must be truthful uh, without the means to be truthful. So they were trying, he took their lives from them, just like the Pharisees took the lives of this blind man. So he sets this up and he says, they Though only the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. For they have taken God's glory. They seek to kill God's messenger, and they seek to destroy his people for their own gain, so that they might feel good about themselves and be accepted by those around them. Or just, you know, have glory for themselves. Because that's just who they were. But he says, I am the door. And anyone who enters me, by me, will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This go in and out and find pasture is an interesting picture. Because if you remember back in this story, he's already led out his sheep out into pasture. He's already taken them out of the sheepfold. So he brought him out to the, the, the area where it was probably a little bit bigger and it was more on the countryside. And the shepherd himself would set up rocks to kind of enclose the sheep and try to keep out the wolves. But again, he stands at the door. The shepherd is the door and the one who knows everybody who comes in and out, every sheep that comes in and out. He knows every part of them. But that enclosure and this door that of salvation is how these these sheep are truly satisfied. These sheep are truly satisfied when they are protected and they are safe, when they are secure and they are fed and taken care of. See, this is true freedom. When we submit ourselves to God and God's way, when we listen to the shepherd's voice, we find true freedom, not just freedom that culture says we can have, but freedom of actual value, freedom forever. Freedom, not just in these next five minutes, but freedom for eternity. See, Jesus is setting himself up as a Psalm 23 shepherd, the one who brings us peace, the one who leads us in paths of righteousness, the one who brings us by still waters and, we can, and restores our souls. 
And he sets the Pharisees as Ezekiel 34 shepherds. Verses 2 to 6 really kind of show this to us. So I'm going to turn to Ezekiel 34, and I just want to read this to you. This is what the Lord had against his people who had set up before him. This is what Jesus is referring to. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not, should you not, shepherds, feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones and you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought with force and harshness, you have ruled them. We are the new Egypt. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. and They became food for all the wild beasts. For my sheep were scattered and they wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. And my sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search and seek. For them. See, he is calling them these Ezekiel 34 shepherds, and this would have been highly offensive. It would have been extremely hard for them to hear because guess what? That's exactly why they went into exile. It's exactly why they were in exile. It was because the people were not being led to God and they were not leading the others to God. It's kind of like when I was a kid, and my dad used to say before he left for work, son, I was homeschooled at this point. That might be why I'm weird. Uh, the, he would say to me, son, take care of your mom and make sure your brothers don't get in trouble. That's all he would say. What I really heard from that was, okay, if mom needs something to drink, I need to go get it for her because she was bedridden. Uh, if my brothers decide to throw something, I'm supposed to clean it up. And you know, what ended up happening is we would just fight instead. And my dad would come home and he would ask my mother, what, what happened and how did Corey do? And he, she would say, well, he's a pretty terrible Shepherd, he was not very good at what you asked him to do and lead his brothers well. Like, I, I might have gotten my mom some water every now and then, but I may have been too occupied with video games or whatever, playing outside. But I was charged with that, 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 that thing from my dad, that, that command from my dad to take care of my mom and my brothers, and yet I failed miserably. My dad would punish me pretty hard, harshly. And he taught me from very young that if you do not do what I say, it's not good for you. It's not good for you because if you don't do what someone else says when you get older, if you don't follow the laws, if you don't do what your boss tells you to do, you're going to get fired, you're going to get put in prison, you're not going to be a good citizen. So I'm teaching you now, son, that you need to listen when authority says something to do something. In fact, I'm your shepherd right now, and you need to be listening and following after me. But I was just as dumb as sheep are, going my own way, doing my own thing. You see, if, if I would have listened to my dad, I would have found green pastures. If I would have listened to my dad, I would have found, found still waters. In fact, I would have been able to rejoice when things went well, but I didn't. But I didn't. And Jesus is calling to us to run hard after him. Why? Because he gives life and life abundant. He is not the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he comes to give you life abundantly. 
That is why we follow his voice. We follow Jesus' life-giving voice because he provides safety, security, and satisfaction, while all other voices lead to destruction, mostly because they cannot deliver on their promises. There's one other thing that we need to see. He calls himself the door. This door is not just any door. He's the only thing that can pass, that you have to go through from life to death. You must believe in this door. You must believe in Christ for salvation. You must find that he is all satisfying, that he is worthy of your praise, that he is the one that you should be devoting yourselves to. Not Allah, not Buddha, Hinduism, New Age, you name it. These gods lead you to destruction. You ultimately will die. You ultimately will be separated from God forever and in his wrath. But here's the news. Here's the good news, the whole gospel message. You ready for it? God created everything, and he said it was good. He said it was very good when he created humanity. But guess what? That doesn't mean you and I are good any longer. Because we, and through our ancestors, Adam and Eve, sinned. That Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree, and they said in the garden that we want to be like God, much like we want to do every day our own gods, have our own control. So we're now sinners because we've been born in Adam. He is our federal head. He is the one that we fall under until Jesus came. He was incarnate. He lived a perfect life. He was killed, crucified for you and for me without cause. But he took your sin upon himself your sin upon the cross. He died on that cross and was brought down, spent three days in a tomb, and then rose again. There's the good news. Now we must respond to the shepherd's voice calling to us as we see and we hear who he is and what he's done. So if you're a Christian in this room, that should just be encouraging to you. We should want to stand and sing because of what he has done and who he is. For he is the good shepherd, the one with authority, the one who has the ability to save you. He is the one who has brought you from death to life. He is the one who we can see that leads us to quiet waters, to peace and tranquility, to what Psalm 23 says is the good life, abundant life, to dwell in the house of the Lord all our days. That is the point of this whole thing. And when we listen to the shepherd's voice, the good shepherd, the one who has authority to lay his life down and to take it back up, the power to, to circumvent death, to defeat it forever, that we might eternally live with him. He's the one that you devote your lives to. But you must follow Jesus's life-giving voice. We're not going to get to everything because I've already been 35 minutes. But Jesus' authority and right brings the power. He brings the power to give life abundantly. He leads us by these stilled waters and he guides our souls to green pastures. We must follow hard after that voice. We must cultivate a listening ear for that voice so that when we hear these other voices, we can shove them out of the way. We can say no to temptation, but we say yes to life. 
We say no to the culture and we say yes to God. We say, yes, Lord, I will follow hard after you and no matter what it is in our schools, in our work, in our families, in our, when we grow up and we have kids of our own and we're sitting there trying to wonder how we disciple somebody, we look to this passage and we say, what did the shepherd do? What did the shepherd do? The shepherd led his own called them by name, loved them to the end. He laid his life down, his whole person down for their sake and for his own glory. Pray with me. Lord, you are our shepherd. We shall not want, for you make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us by still waters and you restore our soul. Lord, there's no greater promise but eternal life through belief in your name. Lord, we pray that tonight you would continue to lead us by those stilled waters. And if we've never done that, Lord, if we've never had or heard your call, that we might respond to it today so that we might be able to say these words, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.